You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Wild ahead of that there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown sixth pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we peel the curtain back with the All-22 review from Sunday's loss at San Francisco. We'll revisit the key numbers, the snap counts, what worked, what didn't, and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel at his Monday evening press conference. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The drive That's Miami Dolphins. All 22 review, and we kick it off as we do every single Tuesday here with the offense. And I think this week I'm just going to go in chronological order of the plays that I wanted to talk about instead of going player by player because this tape, it frustrated the crap out of me. And it sure started with a bang. It was fun out the gate, 75 yards out the gate, in fact. And Tua talked about the play. And you'll see Tyreek Hill go in motion, and the Niners, they don't react. They don't follow him. So then he returns in motion, or I should say goes in return motion back to the original side. And again, Tua's recall every single week blows us away on the postgame show and me personally here on the podcast. He mentioned the Niners bringing pressure off that edge with Dre Greenlaw, showing pressure at the snap. Tua sees it. And here's the craziest part. This Dolphins offense has generated false steps from opposing linebackers all year long to create those gaps in the intermediate middle part of the field. Warner doesn't even false step here. You do see Talanoa Hufanga widen and essentially cover the same portion that corner Traverius Ward is covering Tyreek Hill. And Tua pulls the ball right out of the belly of the back and rips it right before Warner can get over the top. It's a really bad angle from there from that post safety. And then Trent just outruns everybody. Kind of had us thinking it would go that way all day as the flow action of the play really washed that Niners rush down and took them out of the play with a scheme. Between that and the quick trigger, it looked like it was going to be a great day, but of course we knew that would not continue. Or I should say we know now with hindsight that would not continue. And look, some of you are not going to want to hear this, and we'll acknowledge the plays where Miami left the meat on the bone. But the Niners are good, man. <laughs> this defense is really, really good. And I still contend that all things equal, nothing can stop a polished, perfect offense in today's NFL. But that's not what Miami was on this particular day. Even on some plays where it looked like it was going to go that way, the Niners defense just rose up and made some plays. On the second series after the Sherfield touchdown, you see them get a run stuff where they shoot a gap, vacated by a pulling guard, then get an effort play swimming over the top of a block at the left tackle position. Just nothing fundamentally wrong with the call or the execution. The Niners just had two guys make a play on that run. On the very next play, a Fred Warner pass breakup on a ball over the middle of Trent Sherfield. This play was elite processing from the best off-ball linebacker in the NFL. He passes Tyreek off to the safety. And the Dolphins are in trips with a nasty bunch. That means a a bunch of receivers, three of them in trips, close to the right tackle to the wide side of the field, the field side of the formation. And you see Fred Warner locate Tyreek after originally seeing Durham Smythe in that trips stay in, as he did most of the game to help on Nick Bosa. And so he processes, okay, he's in, now I've got two guys to contend with. And while he's getting depth, he carries Tyreek seven yards and carries him up to the safety before passing him off and then instantly locates Trent Sherfield coming in off of that clear-out route from Tyreek Hill, flattens back out and gets to his landmark at 12 yards and gets a finger on the football. If that's not Fred Warner right there and maybe like two other linebackers in the NFL, It's probably at least a 20-yard reception, and it's probably one missed tackle away from going right back to the dwelling 72 yards down the field. I just don't think we can be upset about that. It's good on good. We get them on the first play of the game. They get us here for the pass breakup and the big stop. Also, the ball had to come out when it did because Bosa somehow stays on his feet after a really wicked chip 
knocked him off balance from Durham Smythe, but then he like turns it into the spin move back inside and actually propelled him right into Tua's lap. So just Warner and Bosa made plays all game long for this Niners defense. In fact, a lot of guys up front did. The very first play of the next drive is another good example of how well coached this Niners defense is. Usually you see players react right at the snap. And if you go to the tight shot of this Jeff Wilson's only rush of the entire day, by the way, the opening play of the third drive, they don't move initially, but then like this beat after the snap, you see 54, 57, and 51 all move at the exact same time. They key it as quick as you can, and then 51 closes down for the stop on the backside. The deal with the run game all day was pretty consistent in what was wrong with it. They kept shooting gaps, in particular the B-gaps. They were knifing into the B-gaps and causing disruption against pulling guards, against some of the reach blocks that Connor Williams wants to hit, and we just couldn't protect those inside posts from the tackle positions frequently, if at all. And you would see throughout the course of the game, 98, 91, 56, 90, all making plays at various junctures, just shooting the gaps, getting upfield, that Chris Kusarek upfield one-gap penetration style. You know, we talked about it in the preview. Could the Dolphins be the first ones off the ball and negate that action against them? They made it tough on the Miami Dolphins offensive line doing that, and it made the run game really non-existent throughout the course of the game. So that was a tough thing to overcome. And we heard Tua talk about the angles and the communications being off on some of the throws. Man, there was a second and seventh throw on the third possession where another chance goes by the boards. Tua gets a clean pocket on a play that's well covered downfield, and it's actually like flow to Ingold for a screen and then two men downfield, and one of those guys is Tyreek. And they're covered originally, which has Tua kind of scrambling within the pocket. And you see Tyreek run to the post, and man, he might have had a long touchdown there. And it looked like Tua coming up off the pressure from Nick Bosa once again off that right tackle. Uh, Tua hitches up, and it looks like he can load up for a deep shot to Tyreek kind of running against a similar defense that we saw on the touchdown against a vacated post there with outside leverage and Tyreek running to space there, but he chooses not to go in that direction and he pulls it back down and and scrambles further. And then Waddle comes across the field on this like delayed over route into this pocket of, of space away from the hook zone where you have a linebacker kind of camping out waiting to pick him up. But Jalen outruns that and takes his right, his route right down the line at the 40-yard line. Tua throws it from his own 23, and the ball goes to a location like upfield where if Jalen had angled his route upfield, he might catch it and go the distance. So where where he was and the, where the ball that Tua Tungavailoa threw just were not on the same page. It's a good opportunity for a correction and to get better from that one, but you know, I, I wonder what the thinking was there on that play because one guy was thinking one thing, one guy was thinking the other, And that was the case a few times, and it was costly in this game. The next play is either a bad ball or another instance of just not being on the same page. Waddle runs his hookup route five yards beyond the sticks, and the ball short hops him. It's really good timing anticipation because Tua throws it into this pocket, again, this vacated space of of grass, before Waddle comes out of the break. And by the time the ball's there, the pocket's open. That's like threading tight windows with anticipation has been Tua's game his entire life. And he does it here. And they've been connecting on that play all year long. But because Waddle is five yards beyond the stick, the ball short hops him. Now, I can't tell you who, if Waddle should have been closer or if Tua should have thrown it further. Either way, they're not on the same page on those back-to-back plays. And it basically shut down a drive. So it's, it's costly. Very frustrating. And Rob Hunt had a really good rep on Nick Bosa with an inside spin move on that play from a three-tech pass rush position. He also had a second-level block pulling from the backside where he wiped out Greenlaw earlier in the second quarter, too. So some fun stuff here from Rob Hunt on this particular tape for the Miami Dolphins. On the very next drive, another crossing route to Waddle that we cannot find a hookup on. And once again, There's Fred Warner falling 15 yards back into the hook zone. You just don't see middle linebackers, off-ball linebackers, getting that kind of depth. And then with his length and athleticism to to leap and use those long arms, man, he really impacts a, a significant window on those throws. And he does it here. And I wonder if Waddle could have run under this particular one, opposed to jumping and kind of doing that acrobatic pirouette, spinning back for the football, kind of like the long ball that drew the defensive pass interference in Chicago. Now, it would have required an adjustment, so it's tough, but the ball did get through there, 
And you all know I think Waddle is like damn near a perfect player. I think he's one of the best receivers in the NFL, top five. But I think this is a good learning tape to maybe not high point everything. Maybe don't go up for everything and try to adjust and keep your feet on the ground or at least time those leaps a little bit better because he's been getting airborne just a little bit too early when I don't think he necessarily has to do that. So I don't know. It's a tape to watch and hopefully correct. I, I, I trust they will because it was just really uncharacteristic throughout the course of this game for the Dolphins offense. Had a really nice rip to Durham Smythe on the next possession who hangs on through a big hit. Tua opens the, the window by pumping hard to the flat and then bringing it right back on time and throwing the ball before Durham even crosses face on Fred Warner over the middle of the field. So there were some big-time tight window anticipation throws that we've grown so used to seeing this year. It just wasn't as frequent as you're used to. And, of course, the picks will give you a bad you know, feeling about the game. But I thought that some of those miscommunications and overthrows, a couple on Tua, but I think a couple of those as well, were just uh, him putting the ball in a spot where he thought his guy would be and his guy wasn't there. Also, On that throw to Durham Smythe, a fantastic rush game pickup between the interior three, Rob, Rob, and Connor. Uh, Those three guys, man, they've really settled into a good trio on the interior. Next play, you get an Alec Ingold drop, and it just seemed like every other play, it was something, man. That would have been good for a first down, and those negative plays or plays you don't make, I should say. The Niners, you know, defensively, it's, it's like a great baseball team, a great basketball team, like, Don't give them four outs to work with. Don't give them an extra offensive possession off an offensive rebound. And by dropping a pass and turning, you know, potential first and 10 to second and 10, those things will add up. And it just happened too frequently in this game, like on this Alec Ingold play. The location on the very next play on the Tyreek Hill back shoulder throw, the one-handed catch, you just can't defend that. What a play it was. Coming in motion at the snap and throwing it against the outflanked corner, chasing Tyreek in man coverage across the formation. He's not going to be into the spot, so it's catch the snap and throw it right on that back shoulder. And I think there was a little bit of an opportunity for an adjustment for Miami here going forward because on those plays, those little wheel routes where Tua catches rocks and throws it, if we can like shut those down and just run hitches and comebacks and back shoulders and not carry that route upfield, those corners are bailing all the way out. It was consistent in this game, and it helped them take away some of the shots we had down the field, I think, throughout the course of this game. There was a running play. You know that action where Tua kind of turns his back to the defense and puts the ball behind him and hides it on play action, but sometimes gives it on the sweeping run? There was an outside run by Raheem Mostert where I thought he should have pressed that all the way outside and stretched it outside, uh, but he cut it back inside. It was a little bit too slow to make the cut, and Dre Greenlaw cut him down for like no gain. Also on that play, Tyreek and Greg Little missed key blocks that could have helped sprung him. Just was things like that all throughout the course of the game. And oh man, we might have had Waddle for a touchdown on the field goal drive late in the first half as well. There's a short pass to Ingold where he, it's the third catch of the drive for Alec Ingold. And Waddle's coming across uh, another one of those over routes and Tua just did not see him. I think it was a high degree of difficulty on the throw, but he's made that throw all year long. Kind of like, again, going back to the Chicago game, that touchdown pass he threw to Waddle where Waddle came back and undercut the defensive back to make the touchdown catch there. Later on a drive, the Niners had, on that same drive, Niners had 12 men on the field on third and one on the sack before that field goal. And we motion opposed to calling a play or to snapping the football. If you just snap it and throw it away, would have been an easy first down, but we let the Niners defense get off the field. And on that play, man, Jeff Wilson had a rough rep. He takes his first step out wide, and that was all Nick Bosa needed to get back inside to get to Tua because if he had any sort of time, once again, Waddle is coming open across the field uh, to that pylon in the front part of the end zone for what could have been an open shot for six. It could have been as simple as just like stand in the way and basically seal off Bosa and allow Tua to roll around you. Even if Bosa has to run through Jeff Wilson on that play, like it still would have been an effective block. We just needed a speed bump and it wasn't even that. And it allows Bosa to end the drive. Ah, the frustration continues. Then gosh, man, that miss to Wilson, the deep shot to Wilson, really, that one really, really hurt. They wind up getting him on a little wheel route against Greenlaw with Waddle running the safety completely out of the play to the post. And Tua's timing could not have been better. The pass protection on that play was was really good. And the ball meets Wilson 20 yards downfield with the nearest defender five yards behind Wilson, but we can't connect. I don't know who's in the right, who's in the wrong there. We're not going to speculate on that one, but it looked like the ball drifted outside a little bit uh, for where Wilson was headed. Uh, that one hurt the most. Very next play, Tua tries Craycraft, but he's covered well. And on this play, Tyreek comes open in the middle of the field. 
and he should have thrown that one to Tyreek Hill. Too bad we couldn't get the football to him because they turned him free from the backside of the formation, and Fred Warner was chasing to keep up, but that's obviously tough for anybody to do, especially a linebacker against Tyreek Hill. Next drive, we get a deep dig to Tyreek Hill, open again, and this throw is too high. This is one of Tua's misses. Man, we had, what, 275 yards passing? It could have been 400 in this game. And, and watching it back, you get a sense for why Tua says this game sucks, how we had a chance to kind of show the world what was going on with us, and the opportunities were there. I think <laughs> in another universe, this game is a 33-17 win for the Dolphins, and Tua has 400 yards passing and three touchdowns, and we feel much differently today, but it is what it is, chance to get better. Uh, we discuss, you know, going back to some of the positives, nuance and intricacies on this podcast a lot with the quarterback position. And the ball handling, the play action fakes, all that stuff, it creates the need for a lot of different setups and different footwork for the quarterback position. And that's a prelude to me saying that the comeback route where Bosa got flagged for roughing the passer, that was a great throw by Tua Tungavailoa. He's getting his feet right after Ingold and Williams collide in the backfield. So he has to make this flat-footed throw because he has to get away from pressure and kind of get his feet aligned with his progression reads to the front side of the formation and come backside. And he layers this beautiful throw, flat-footed really, between three Niners defenders and a great job by Tyreek to run the route to depth, press the safety, and come back and make a tough catch. It's a 30-yard air throw from the far hash, flat-footed, and he peppers it out there. The first interception was threefold and a microcosm of the entire day. Uh, Arik Armstead gets a good pass rush on Rob Hunt and is bearing down on Tua and it's first and 25 so you're right on the fringe of field goal range after you know the holding call on the Raheem Mostert play took away a first and 10 from the 13 yard line now it's first and 25 from like the 42 yard line or 43 yard line so I think Tua probably pressed on that play a little bit but even still I don't the receiver falling down is why that ball got picked off now Tyreek was open downfield but it's not doable because Armstead gets pressure uh, beating Rob Hunt inside pretty quickly. With the red jersey in Tua's face, he can't step into that throw. So he slides and throws an off-platform ball. And it might look like a rushed or panicked decision, but the ball's right where it's supposed to be. Wilson just slipped and fell to the ground. That's really all it was. So a rough sequence, false start, 20-yard run negated by a hold, and then a breakdown and pass pro, and a kind of off-platform throw, and a receiver falling down leads to a big play for the Niners. It was just that kind of day. Then the second interception, just the most unto-alike throw I've ever seen from him in his entire career. I, I didn't see one of these balls on tape in college, not as a pro here at the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek runs a delayed speed-out route with Tua rolling his way. It's as pitch and catch as we've seen. The corner is five yards off, layup for a throw, and he missed it. He missed it high and behind, and it gets tipped up and picked off. I don't think you'll see him do that again. Like he never has, and if he does it again, I'd be I'd be absolutely floored. I'm floored that he did it one time. What I love though is how deflating that moment felt, and with the defense getting a huge stand right there and allowing just a field goal on the opposite side of that interception, the offense comes right back and it's three completions back to back to back, including a nice chunk on a rip to Tyreek to put us at the plus 45 yard line. And then the big strike, a very subtle hitch and pump pulls Hufanga, the middle of the field safety out of the post, closing down on the Sherfield over route. And from there, it's Tyreek Hill in a foot race with Charvarius Ward. And there is not a human on earth in football pads. I like to beat Tyreek in a foot race. Ball is perfect. Cruise in for six. The best part about this, Tua's hands separate when Tyreek is at the 28-yard line. And Ward still is on top. He's at the 25-yard line but he's outside leveraged and with the ball going back inside and descends at the six yard line, Ward is still behind it at the four yard line, but he's on the hash and Tyreek's directly in the middle of the field. So he's basically got him stemmed and stacked the entire way. Crews in good job, leading leverage, good job reading Hufanga squatting and driving and then locating the ball perfectly to Tyreek to run under it for a big touchdown. Really good job against a four man rush too, as Durham Smythe had a great chip on Nick Bosa on that play. The third down throw to Sherfield that was overturned was a thing of beauty. Throwing against leverage with anticipation, great location, got to finish the catch. And then appreciation to Tyreek Hill for hanging on through the contact on that fourth down conversion, which, by the way, McDaniel mentioned it was a great play or a play call he felt great about. Alec Ingold's open, probably could have ran it for a first down. And if Tua pumps that to Tyreek and he had time to do it, and the corner on the outside squatted, he would have had Mike Gesicki probably on a touchdown if he throws it up over the top. Just that kind of day, man. I'm not going to fault the quarterback for taking a first down and fourth down, but he might have had a big play if he had gone hunting for it there. Then he has a nice location throw and a quick pop to Craycraft. Kind of like that throw to Tyreek on the game-winning drive against Baltimore 
where he runs to a space and Tua just catch rock throw and puts it into a space and he kind of goes up and catches it off his frame. Good catch there by River Craycraft. Uh, and then on the first down Mostert run, just a few plays later, Rob Jones had an awesome wipeout block coming across the formation on Nick Bosa. Um, and then we get to the Mike Gesicki ball. The, the ball's just a hair outside. I think if it's wider, it's a completion, but that wasn't the case. Uh, it stinks, man. It was the right call, but I think we had that, and I was just so confident they go down and score after that conversion, but the wheels fall off from there. It's a frustrating tape. Had every chance to make it six straight wins. Lots of yards left on the field. Did not execute enough to make it a game late, but I think this is a good tape to learn from, and one they'll feel like they could have had with just two or three more plays, but that's the league, man, and that's how this game goes. The quarterback, I didn't think played very well. I don't think we got him the help when he could have used it. Run game didn't do anything. And some of the executions on doubles and chips and handling of Nick Bosa was not good enough. Uh, Pressure was a little bit too frequent at times, although for the most part it was good. But the running game, some inside post uh, give-ups from the offensive line, some drops and some miscommunications. I think this game is the anomaly, not the norm. Trash the tape, move on. Let's go ahead and get the defense. But first, before that, let's go ahead and take our first break. On the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like, check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, you know, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have know to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. We made it through the offensive tape. Let's go ahead and buzz through the defensive tape before we get to the stats as the Dolphins fall 33-17 to the San Francisco 49ers, 8-4 on the season. Again, everything right out in front of the Miami Dolphins. On this defensive tape, I thought it was pretty clear that the directive, regardless of the quarterback, was to shut down the running game even on that opening drive with Jimmy G. I thought a lot of the plays where you wound up with press man free looks with Javon as the free safety into the post and even taking matchups like linebackers on Christian McCaffrey flexed out wide because they wanted to be gap sound and add extra guys to those extra gaps as the Niners create those extra gaps like we talked about on the Thursday preview podcast. They run a ton of formations and will add extra offensive linemen off of those varied formations. So you saw safeties coming down into the box. You saw linebackers mugged up. I liked Miami's plan to make sure they were never light in the box in that way. It did bite Miami a couple of times in the passing game because you get, you know, McCaffrey on a linebacker and he led to a couple of big plays, two third down conversions and that big play on the opening drive and one-on-one coverage against linebackers. Uh, There was a good mix of coverage throughout the course of the game. We saw plenty of man, man free, uh, Manfrey that converted to cover zero with Holland, you know, buzzing down on this angle route by Christian McCaffrey. And man, if Purdy throws that one, it's a pick six the other way. I even saw one inverted two look, so plenty of zone, man looks, disguise. I did think Purdy made some really nice throws, man, like the touchdown to Christian McCaffrey. Really good timing and feel on that one. I can't say you'd normally expect that from a rookie, Mr. Irrelevant, no less coming off the bench in his first action of the season. Also a really smart offensive staff over there in San Francisco, right? Stuff like the tunnel screen to McCaffrey before that touchdown catch where Miami's walked up that pressure look and they just throw it right away from the blitz and it kind of gets out the back end the other way. Going to be lots of Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins on this podcast. The very first play of the game, Zach rides the wave with Trent Williams on outside zone. And as they're flowing away, he has to then put his foot in the ground and keep 
Williams' momentum going while stopping his own, and he throws the future Hall of Fame offensive tackle off of him and makes the play along with Christian Wilkins, who beat his block on the other side of the formation inside to team up with his best buddy for the first of many run stuffs. And Christian's you know, next play, same drive, stack and shed McGlinchey for a tackle at two yards. Next drive, double team gets off it and brings down McCaffrey after a gain of three. There was a third down conversion on that drive. Christian comes off and they hit a 12-yard run with that rookie uh, running back, the backup, I forgot his name, uh, bending it back to the backside with no backside contained, and he checks back in the next play. And then it gets right back to the more of the same. Like on the Niners' third possession, McCaffrey has a bend back run, and it's just Holland and McCaffrey with 15 yards of green grass and this wide open lane as the only man in his path to prevent him from the end zone. But there's number 94 who stops his flow, gets off the block and makes the stop while McGlinchey is still engaged on the inside shoulder, half of his body, (laughs) some kind of game by number 94. He had out there several plays in the backfield as we'll talk more about those here in the third down section. Sealer was also just awesome. He ran through a man for a tackle for loss on that tripping call on Melvin Ingram, which was not a right call. Uh, The next play, he has an arm over that just leaves the left guard flat footed, wondering what the heck just happened? Just got flashed by Zach uh, Taylor running by in a, in a flash, I should say. He got a quarterback hit on a quick slant. Think about how quick you have to get to the quarterback to make that happen. His combo sack with Van Ginkle was vintage play from both of those guys. Sealer sets the pick on Williams, and that brings Aaron Banks, the left guard, uh, to to Van Ginkle's or over to that side, and then Van Ginkle slants right in behind that off the pick. And when the guard comes back open to try to get Van Ginkle handled, he just stays on that inside post and crashes in, and they both get in there for the sack, and they draw a holding call on Banks as well. I want to just cover the third down plays because I thought independently they were basically the key of the game here, and this is where the Niners won the game on this side of the ball. First one of the game, Ayuk gets free running mesh on that first third down play of the game. If you can't get pressure on that mesh concept and they run that drag all the way across the field, you're not going to be able to handle that. And that's that's a man coverage look. And Miami did mix it up more after that. They get a sack from a cover zero look on third and six on Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe we're going to see more man coverage against Garoppolo. Who knows what it would have looked like. They wind up bringing four and it springs a free runner who's Jerome Baker. And everything is bracketed downfield. And they use the defensive tackles dropping into the hook zones in this game. Something I actually called for in the Thursday podcast uh, with Christian Wilkins this time in the hook zone. And it was also a great job on the other side of the formation by Jalen Phillips, who had a one-on-one situation with McGlinchey, and he won his pass rush upfield to help hem Garoppolo in to help Baker finish that play for the sack there that eventually wound up injuring Jimmy Garoppolo. The first Purdy drive, third and three, McCaffrey one-on-one against Duke Riley, runs a jerk route. It's an easy first down. You're, that's not a good matchup. Defensive pass interference on Cater Kohu. Let me just say this. This game was not decided by officiating, but this one I thought I thought it was a bad call because it or just that it was a an unfortunate call because it looked like Miami had Purdy dead to rights. Everybody's plastered up on the original rollout, all covered up on the backside of the play. He puts his foot in the ground and commits the cardinal sin, throws it late back over the middle. And not just that, Ayuk's running away from him the other direction, and Cater sees it and follows it. Now, if Cater got his eyes back and recognized that this ball's going to float because he's kind of drifting from the throw, probably could have picked it off. But the reason the flag comes out is because Cater is playing the man, but I thought his timing was good. He put his hand between Ayuk to separate them. He just came back to the ball, and so the contact was a tad early. But I thought very good coverage and a really bad break there for Cater Kohu. Third and two after that, guess who? Christian Wilkins wins with quickness and gets a tackle for loss that brings out the punt team. Third and five on the next possession, they try a quick flat to Debo Samuel, but Keon Crossan just reads it the whole way and puts his hand on the football for a pass breakup. It's looking really good the majority of that first half until we get to that drive at the end of the first half. And on the third and 10 after that, Van Ginkle and Sealer sack. Uh, zero coverage, walked up seven into the rush. Sealer and Raekwon both back out. Holland comes clean off the edge, and Purdy gets a completion short of the sticks. Really good job on the back end with Xavier Howard kind of playing that sticks, zero coverage. Keep it in front of you, see it in front of you, rally up and tackle. He sees it develop and drives forward to make that stick on the receiver short of the first down marker. Uh, wasn't the best angle by Javon Holland on that pass rush. He's done that a few times now, which is not what we saw from him last season that allowed Purdy to get wide out of that play 
and it probably cost Miami some field position because they got the takeaway after that, but they could have backed him up for a punt on their own side of the field. But then the way X pays it off on the following play after a good play on third down, gets that pick, vintage Xavier Howard, one-on-one to the boundary. You know, we put the help to the other side of the field, so it's X all alone. He presses, inside hand jam, flips the hips, pins Ayuk to the sideline, stays in phase, locates the ball, makes the play. Like every phase of that route, he won it uh, decisively. There's a third and 10 on the drive again before the half. This is following the X pick. This is the throw where I thought Purdy arrived. We get a free runner off the snap and he throws a seed to Kittle. Just an impressive as hell. I thought there were several critical points of the game that went to the Niners. And this was kind of the start of that beginning. Uh, there was a big one at the end of the half as well. A four point play, the completion to McCaffrey for the touchdown. They created space and Purdy read it all the way. There's not much more to say about it than that. We had the shell in the end zone and guys were playing pretty deep over the top. And rather than making them part of the play seven yards deep in the end zone, San Francisco just ran their two routes at the closest defenders to create, you know, more of a cushion for McCaffrey to settle that route down. And he did. Purdy saw it, threw it right on the money. Touchdown for the Niners. Four-point play there to not have a field goal and get a touchdown out of it. The third and five on the opening drive of the second half, they go to Jennings for uh, 15 yards. Purdy does a good job here holding the hook backer the way we praised Tua for doing it and threw it with good timing into the window. I would have called you crazy if you told me this kid would come off the bench and play at this level. He played really well. It's It sucks, but he did. Uh, third and six, the same drive. Ingram wins with a dip and rip to turn the corner and finish off a sack because on the other side, Bradley Chubb dented the edge and forced Purdy to double back. I thought there was a lot of examples of that where two guys would win, where Purdy tried to change directions and get to a different part of the, the pocket, but we had one that side of the pass rush as well. You get a third and three on the next drive, and this is where I just didn't know Purdy could do this stuff. We get a free run with a delayed Duke Riley blitz. Purdy wheels out against a zero look and McCaffrey takes his route wide after faking the run inside and angling back to the perimeter and Purdy against his body with three defenders bearing down, whips it out to turn a fourth and long potentially outside of field goal range into fourth and one from the 25, which they would convert on the sneak. And by the way, the effort on that fourth and one sneak, that's not that's not this team, man. Seeler did a great job of stacking that up and really making the play, but we had guys standing around just watching the play and allowed Purdy to make the second effort and get the first down. That's going to be, I'm sure, a chew job on the tape. Third and 14, good pursuit to get Ayuk down on a screen. Here comes the field goal team to keep it uh, 20 to 10, and then we get the short field on a quick change. Third and five right away after a great row pass breakup on a Christian McCaffrey throw. Then you get Rowe and Holland carrying deep routes into the end zone on third and five. It forces Purdy to check it down. Jerome Baker comes up and makes a tackle. So it stays 23-10, stays a two-score game after that bad pick from Tua. Then another critical one here, third and three on our own 42 23-17 game after the touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill, 11:45 to go. They try this rub and wheel route, but it gets congested and eventually opens up. But by the time it does, Phillips's pass rush had one, and it put a hit on Purdy and forced the throw to be errant. Then on the final one, the final key third down of the game, third and one, nice play action boot to get Kittle one-on-one coverage against Jerome Baker. Purdy hits him first down, and they would get that big McCaffrey run a couple of plays later. That was it. The first down run kind of put it out of reach. Williams uh, had a great block, taking advantage of our aggressiveness where he got Sealer to the ground, like threw him down, and that opened up that big bend back lane for Christian McCaffrey to find it and, and get 30 yards and put them into field goal range to go up by two scores. Some more individual notes here. I thought Alandon Roberts had some moments, some not so good moments, but he continues to scrape off of the stack really well where you stay in close to the bodies and, and make your hit on the ball carrier. I think Raekwon Davis's pass rush has been heating up a little bit. He had this wicked push-pull rush move where he left the center in the dust, got him to the ground, and got a quarterback hit out of it on an incomplete pass. And I felt like for the defense as well, kind of a similar story, a day of close but no cigar. I thought Melvin Ingram had that interception, man, but Kittle on the first drive of the game does a good job staying with the play and batting the football down. Speaking of Ingram, the tripping call sucked and not because I thought it was some egregious call, but you see it on the broadcast. His cleat gets attached to the offensive line of the Niners cleat and it literally pulls his leg back and makes it look like he did it on purpose, but he didn't. He just got pulled away from it, turned a third and seven into a first down. That's a that's a drive changer, man. Brutal. Uh, back to close, but no cigar. That tipped ball early in the third quarter where Justin Zimmer's the one chasing it. If that's anybody besides like Justin Zimmer, it's probably a pick. Just that kind of game, man. Uh, Xavier Howard's pass breakup on that first Purdy touchdown drive was really high level stuff. 
Javon buzzes the crosser and, and flies upfield, and X has to get back underneath Debo Samuel after playing outside leverage. And there's nobody in football I'd rather have undercutting an in-breaking route than Xavier Howard. Ball's a little bit behind, which I think helped generate that contact, but X puts his foot in the ground and drives on it. That's a textbook play. Really good job covering Samuel. I also hated the DPI call on X later in the game. That ball was uncatchable. I don't like it at all. Uh, Chubb had some nice stack and shed plays in the running game, although him jumping inside on that outside Debo Samuel run on the final drive, the final field goal drive to make it 26-17, that was a critical mistake there at the end of the game that gave the Niners a fresh set of downs in when you could have made a, a third down to get back in the game. I thought John Jenkins had a nice game from him, his best of the season. Some nice two-gap uh, two textbook lockout reps. thought Van Ginkle had a great edge on the first play of the final drive, keeping the outside arm free and strung that play out. A couple of missed tackles, gave the Niners some hidden yards in this game. That's what they do. But, man, they had some chances for some big negatives that were undone and brought back to the line of scrimmage because of missed tackles. This is the first game where I think I'll take a bit of a mea culpa on the pressure and sack argument. I still think pressures are vitally important. But, man, we saw the Niners finish sacks of their own, and we had chances to do the same thing with some good coverage downfield. Just too many plays where Purdy stood in and delivered from a clean pocket. All things told, I feel like they had their chances. Even watching the tape back, I still find myself saying, man, we could have won this game or had this or that, and the game goes differently. Tough one to swallow, but we move on to the Chargers. I thought they should have won this game. I felt that way about all the losses so far. I just hope it's not another one of those years where we go back and look at the end of the year and say, man, these one or two games, I regret the way those finished. Margin for error for the division is now gone. The playoff race gets really interesting. If you can't get it righted next week, you have to beat the Chargers, in my opinion. You beat them, you get a two-game lead on the seventh seed with head-to-head tiebreakers over both teams, them and the Patriots, and just four games to play after that. So Miami's current playoff odds, 88% will go well into the 90s with the victory over the Chargers. And of course, it makes for a big Week 15 matchup if you can get that one. So hurry up and get here, please, on Sunday. Let's go ahead and get some of the stats before I spin it forward to Coach Mike McDaniel's Monday press conference. Tua in this game. Just one for five on 20-plus yard air throws, 45 yards in the touchdown to Tyreek Hill. He was nine for 15, throwing the intermediate 10 to 19 yard range for 205 yards and touchdown. Both picks came on throws under 10 yards, just five of nine on those throws. Total 10-plus yard throws, 10 for 20, 245, two touchdowns and no picks. He was blitzed only three times, one sack, one for two passing and 75 yards in the touchdown to Sherfield. Under pressure, three for seven, 38 yards and a pick three sacks as well. A couple of fun data points. His five touchdown throws of 40 plus yards are second most in the NFL behind Joe Burrow's six. His 75 completions of 15 or more yards is the most in the NFL. His season rankings through 13 weeks, number one in passer rating, number two in total QBR, number one in net yards per attempt and yards per attempt and touchdown percentage. He is number three in EPA per play behind Mahomes and Allen. He is 10th lowest in interception percentage at 1.6% and his 4.5% sack percentage is tied for fifth. Tyreek Hill had 11.2 yards per target, 4.29 yards per route ran. Those are still such absurd numbers. A Sherfield, 25 yards per target. One catch helped that. 2.88 yards per route ran. Waddle, a really uncharacteristic game. 1.8 yards per target for a guy top uh, two in the league in yards per target. Uh, 0.45 yards per route ran. Obviously, season lows for him. Craycraft caught two of twenty, uh, two for 29 on three targets. That's 9.67 yards per target. Great number for him. And 1.93 yards per route ran. And Durham caught both of his targets for 21 yards. Tyreek leads the NFL with 96 catches, 1,379 yards, 62 first down catches, 114.9 yards per game is 8.5 yards per game, better than anybody else. Justin Jefferson, he's third in the NFL with 10.7 yards per target among receivers with 50 targets. Waddle is fifth with 972 receiving yards. His 10.8 yards per target is second in football, minimum 50 targets. He's eighth in the NFL with 81 yards per game, and his 47 first down catches are seventh in football. We had one missed tackle in the game for my running backs forced. It was Jeff Wilson's only carry of the game. Raheem Mostert averaged 2.43 yards after initial contact on seven rush attempts. Pressures allowed one, two, one, one, three. That's Little, Jones, Williams, Hunt, and Shell. So Shell with three, Jones with two. The other three had one pressure allowed. Just 11 pressures in the game on 37 pass blocking snaps is a good number. Defensively, Sealer had four pressures. Phillips had three. Chubb, Holland, Riley, and Ingram all had two, and six guys had one. Run stops, I think Christian Wilkins might have set a PFF record for a defensive tackle. Ten 
10 run stops. He was great. Jerome Baker had five. Jenkins had three. Sealer, Campbell, Chubb, and E-Rob all had two apiece. Six guys had one. We had a lot of guys in coverage in this game. Howard, 48 coverage snaps, 59 yards allowed. They were four for seven throwing at him with a pick. Cater Kohu, 48 coverage snaps, just 36 yards allowed, five for eight going after him. They tabbed Holland with 23 yards allowed on 45 coverage snaps, 28 yards allowed on 45 coverage snaps from Eric Rowe. And then Duke Riley had 20 coverage snaps, 67 yards. They went after him in the passing game. All right, those are your numbers. Let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back on the other side, do snap counts, and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel to wrap up this podcast. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Couple of news items back in this side of the Drive Time podcast for you guys. The Dolphins signed offensive tackle Eric Fisher, formerly of the Chiefs and Colts, former number one overall pick. He should come in and help as Austin Jackson goes back to the injured reserve. Just a, a short season here for Austin Jackson. Sucks to see it, but he is going to be down for some time now. We also get flexed on week 15 against the Buffalo Bills, 8-15 kickoff on Saturday night in Buffalo. So a short week, going to be a rough, rough go there, uh, flying all day Monday morning, basically wasting your Monday and then coming back and trying to get ready for a short week to go back to Buffalo on Friday. That is a tall order. Snap counts before Mike McDaniel's Monday press conference. We had the offensive line went wire to wire, just 46 snaps for those guys uh, in the game. Tua took all but one snap. Of course, Skyler had the other one. We had Tyreek 39 snaps, Sherfield 30, and Waddle played just 24. So half the game for Waddle fighting through injuries there. Hopefully he's going to be okay. The running back workload goes back to Raheem Mostert. He had uh, 61% of the workload. Jeff Wilson had 37% of the workload. Finishing up the receiver position there, Cedric Wilson, nine snaps. Uh, Where is River Craycraft on here? Oh, 20 snaps for River Craycraft. And then tight ends, Durham Smythe, 27. Mike Gesicki, just nine snaps in the game for Gesicki. And Tanner Connor played two snaps. On defense, uh, three guys went the distance, Holland, Kohu, and Howard. That's pretty uniform these days. That's 84 snaps. Eric Rowe played 80. How about Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer both giving you 90% workload? 76 snaps for both of those guys is insane. Uh, Also on the defensive line, Raekwon Davis gave you 49. We got 26 from John Jenkins and 13 from Zimmer. In the linebacker room, Jerome Baker leads way for 74 snaps. That's 88%. E-Rob plays 56 snaps. Phillips played 55. That's 65% of the workload. Chubb gave you 48. Van Ginkle, 31. Duke Riley, 30. Lots of snaps to go around here. Melvin Ingram, 21 snaps. And then the defensive secondary, Eric Rowe played 80 snaps. That's 95% of the workload. And then a big drop-off from those top four guys down to the next ones. Uh, Verone McKinley played seven snaps, and Elijah Campbell played five in the game. Let's go ahead and get to Mike McDaniel's Monday press conference. Couple of big news items on this Monday. The Dolphins signed offensive tackle Eric Fisher. Also got the sun the uh, week 15 game, I should say, against the Buffalo Bills flexed to Saturday night primetime. We're gonna hear from Coach on both of those, but first, before that, he did update us on Teron Armstead when he was asked about the Eric Fisher signing. He'll tell you about that in just one second, but it sounds like Teron Armstead has a chance to go on Sunday against the Chargers. Let's go ahead and hear from Coach on that idea and also the signing of Eric Fisher. This is something we were working on for um, uh, seems a couple weeks. So uh, it was, it's more, um, you know, with the, with the idea that, uh, you know, our intention is to have our season longer than the regular season in that being um, both uh, pretty thin on the roster and seeing an opportunity to add a, a, a player of high quality with um, with a big time game experience. So it it, it wasn't necessarily reactionary to um, Toronto as much as it was, uh, you know, trying to uh, take advantage of there being a, a player out there on the market that can um, make sure that there, you know, anything unforeseen um, that we can, we can have a high quality pay play in the most important time of the year. 
I went ahead and spliced this next question a little bit that was posed to coach about how you expressed the importance of this game to the team against the Chargers. You know, all pretty important. Um, but I thought the way he attacked this question was indicative of the feeling around the football team about a missed opportunity, one that kind of went by the boards, but also the eagerness and the, I guess, ability to respond in a way that's going to make Dolphins fans very happy and very proud. Let's go ahead and hear this from Mike McDaniel. And this will be a theme throughout this press conference. You'll hear from him uh, when he talks about corrections in the passing game later on as well. You can tell he feels they missed an opportunity in this game. Here he is talking about the importance of this Chargers game and how fired up guys are already on a Monday to play next Sunday. Uh, and the biggest thing is that, you know, guys really, um, really wanted uh, to to try to get the victory um, against a very good opponent in this past game. And, um, you know, that didn't happen, but we feel like there's uh, some definite places where we can get better from it. And, you know, the, the, the next game can't come fast enough. So um, guys are eager to get started on, on the chargers. And, you know, you, you, you always um, try to uh, really bask in the opportunity to play in front of the uh, national audience. So uh, I think the, the team really relishes the opportunity to play a good football team and um, get, uh, get back on track after uh, the one week hiatus. And of course, the question about the uh, Buffalo game getting flexed to Saturday night and a, a short week coming up, which sucks, and Coach acknowledges that. But here he is talking about that short week and the Buffalo game, the quick turnaround, flying all day Monday morning, playing a game the following Saturday night on the road. Rough go. Yeah, no, the, you're right on both fronts. Uh, we are very much focused on um, the Chargers, but there will be an adjustment to the schedule. Um, it will be somewhere in between what a normal game is and what a Thursday night game is, because that is, that will be a challenge, but um, that that's something that, uh, you know, I, I think is important um, across the board uh, for when, when, when we get to that point that, that players, coaches, they take it as, as a, as a challenge that um, I don't want anybody spending any time feeling sorry for themselves. And I don't think our team will um, bottom line is, is we have two opportunities um, uh, to play in front of a national audience, um, something we've been building towards for the whole season in terms of how we play, um, but only one of which we can really do anything about um, in the immediate future. So uh, it, the, it, it's definitely challenging, but not something that um, anyone's going to spend any time feeling sorry for themselves about because it's the, uh, that, that's not our decision to make. We're, uh, we're happy to have the opportunity to play in front of our our peers and the national audience will do our best to take advantage of that. Two more here for coach as promised the question about corrections in the passing game. I think y'all are going to love this one. You know, you want to be hitting on all cylinders at all times. And um, the thing about uh, a, a passing game is it can be very potent when all cylinders are, are hitting. And I think um, there, you know, clearly it wasn't in terms of um, our completion percentage, the, the uh, throwing it to the opposing team as opposed to our own team and um, just really being as consistent as we, we needed to be. And that, I think uh, from my estimation, there was, um, as I told the team, I thought there was times that uh, really guys were pressing. There was um, some, some times that we did have time to, um, to uh, go ahead and make a play. And, you know, the, the eligibles got their depths and were, available in the time of the play and other times that they weren't. And um, we kind of let plays linger and, uh, and really overlap to uh, further existing plays. So these are things that um, from my vantage point are very, very correctable that uh, I, you know, I think we needed that um, stage, that environment that um, you know, one of those things where, Hey, you have a really good team, one of the best units in the league that um, are trying to def defend you in a certain area and, and um, uh, really pushing all resources towards it and what, what you have to do to be able to combat that and the level that you have to play. So I think a lot of guys learn stuff. I think guys uh, did, did learn um, various things without losing confidence. They, they, they were very accountable today. Um, which is which is one of the reasons I 
um, so deeply invested and confident in this team and expect uh, expect it to look better um, and take a step forward this this next coming week. Finishing up here with a question I asked Coach about that hustle play from Christian Wilkins, tracking that play down from 20 yards down the field, and he gave me some cool insight on how this team kind of approaches trying to get eligibles to stop their feet. Here's Coach on that hustle play from Christian Wilkins. You know, something that we've been getting better at during the course of the year, it's something that we point out in all of our team meetings um, because it's, uh, you know, making that, – that's team defense because what happens – that happened a little further down the field than we would like it to happen. But if you get a uh, an eligible to stop his feet um, because you have aggressive tackling um, down the field, if that defender or if the offensive player has to stop, you really good defenses make them pay and get turnovers um, in those type of situations. So that's something that as a captain, we've counted on Christian. He's done a ton um, during the during the season. I think one of the bigger hits of the year came against um, Buffalo in a similar situation against uh, Knox, I believe. And uh, it's one of the strengths to his game to have cons- consistent strain. And that, that affects um, players. They, they feel it, they hear it. Um, and, you know, it's a part of uh, the physicality of our defense that, um, you know, we, we really, when we're going at our best, um, there's uh, not just him, but um, the whole D-line is able to get, get some action um, chasing the ball. Can you tell how much fun I'm having this year by the fact that the podcasts are probably double the amount of time they were supposed to be when we originally began this venture back in 2020? I digress. And speaking of that, we only have three episodes this week and three episodes for y'all next week. And the reason for that is because by the next time you hear my voice, I will be the proud papa of a second beautiful baby, a little boy. Uh, No podcast until the Friday preview of the Chargers game. No mailbag this week either. We're going to be in the hospital for a couple of days. I'll be back with you guys on Friday and then again on Sunday to recap. I will not be doing the post-game show on radio the next two weeks, so get a a chance to kind of spend time with the family there. And by the time you hear this podcast, I'll I'll probably, we probably will have a little camel be here with us. So we'll go two weeks of three shows per week and then get back on track for that stretch run starting on Christmas against the Green Bay Packers. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Fish Tank Podcast, Post Game Show, Twitter Spaces Show every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Probably going to miss that one this week as well. But also the team YouTube channel. Plenty of content heading your guys' way on Dolphins Today, Drive Time, Fish Tank content, media availabilities, all that stuff. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up Caroline and Cam. Daddy's coming home.